and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, the fast pace of work and long hours in the office can have a huge effect on all aspects of your life. And this is exactly what my guest today, Stacey Clare, discovered after spending years working late and not thinking about the food she was putting into her body or how she was treating herself. But that all changed after the birth of her first baby. Having a baby is a joyful moment, a journey where a woman becomes a mother. As joyful as it was for Stacy to have her first child, it was also full of complications that led to her baby being born at 32 weeks and only weighing 1.38 kilos. The poor health of her baby meant that Stacy needed to do something that no parent should ever have to do. A month after bringing her baby home from the hospital, Stacy found him not breathing in his cot. A heart-wrenching sight for any parent to see. Stacy had to put her fingers around his little chest and push down, performing CPR on him to bring life back to his little body, which thankfully she did. But through all this, Stacy knew that she needed to change her ways by focusing on her health and the food that she puts into her body so that she could raise her little baby boy in a healthy way. Stacy was so passionate about this change in her life that she dove deep and studied nutrition, started her company Stacy Clare, a healthy mum, and is now a health and nutrition coach helping other mothers and families on their health journey. We also discussed something that I really loved. And that is the family gratitude journal that Stacy does each evening at the dinner table with her family. It is something that I will definitely be bringing to our dinner table too. The Skype connection is a little bit robotic in parts, but stay with it as Stacy is a bundle of joy that is teaching happiness through food. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Stacy Clare. Hi, Stace. How are you? Hi, Mike. I am brilliant. Oh, that How is, are you? I'm very well, very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? I am in um, a very unsunny Sydney today. Um, yeah, in the, I'm in the inner city of Sydney um, and it's a gorgeous rainy day, I guess, if we can say that. Um, yeah. Oh, lovely. I mean. It's my, my hometown. I was actually brought up in the, the suburbs of Sydney and Castle Hill, now live in Newcastle. Well, I'm actually in upstate New York as we speak, but uh, <laughs> Sydney, Sydney holds a very strong place in my heart, obviously. I hear you. I hear you. Now, you run a great company called Stacey Clare, a healthy mum, but I guess healthy isn't a word that you would have used a few years ago to describe yourself. Can you take me back to that, you know, take me back a handful of years and describe how life was for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're so right in saying I probably wasn't healthy. Um, I was definitely functioning. I um, went into the corporate world of advertising and like I guess we see on Mad Men, <laughs> there was definitely elements of that kind of stuff going on, maybe not so much connections between, um, you know, sleeping with your boss, but definitely <laughs> running yourself ragged. Um, and I, I kind of did that for about five years um, and then went, I'm just going to go overseas, something's calling me. Um, and I actually went to Canada and on the 10th day I met my now husband um, and we stayed away for four years and we snowboarded all through Whistler for nearly three years and then went to London and travelled and kind of came back and went, holy moly, we're a little bit behind. Um, you know, we were, we were getting late into our 20s. We knew um, that Sydney was the spot that we wanted to be. Thank God my husband um, wanted to come and live where I had, I had lived. Um, and so we just started working our la boom booms off. Like, honestly, 
um, I just, thinking back to then, all I ever remember doing was calling my husband at like nine o'clock at night and saying, are you grabbing the cab from your work or am I grabbing the cab from my work? Wow. Pick you up, let's go to the pub, have a beer, have a burger, go home and just do it all again. And I guess that was about five to six years of that, um, just toxicity really and I knew I was getting sick. Um, I knew I had endometriosis and polycystic, which I'm sure um, <laughs> that might be much to you, Mike, but to the mama listeners and lady listeners out there, it's something that, that is super-duper common but we also know what comes with that is that there's an incredible amount of pain and infertility. Um, so I had an operation for that to try and fix it. It kind of worked for a few months but then didn't. So it was really, I guess, just this lifestyle of just constantly like just running all the time and not sort of sitting back and looking at bigger picture stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's I, I can't. I can't, I'm grateful for it though, I guess. Yeah, I can't say the word um, endometriosis, but it's something. It's something that my 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 wife had um, or has as well, and it's it's probably been. Uh, yeah, without turning this about me, but you know we've been struggling to have our second yeah. child. Um, it pretty much consumed our life uh, of two thousand and fourteen, and and it. It, it 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 wasn't a great thing, and we still haven't been able to have our our second child. But it, it wasn't until we kind of started to feel grateful for what we had, because we had a lot of friends that were struggling for their first child, and totally. and, and once we were like, hey, we've got a, a beautiful daughter here that's really help, healthy, and and we're, we're lucky just to have her. Um, that actually really changed our mindset. Um, around in a big way, but you, you 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 speak of of that you know that infertility, and you know did that have like a, an effect on the relationship that, a, that yeah. you were having with your husband? Definitely. So we knew, I guess, from gosh, even early on. I remember being in Whistler, um, probably in a kind of like where I'm picturing you now, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> like log cabin that, that wasn't gorgeous. You know, we were earning like six bucks an hour, um, you know, to sell ski jackets and stuff. But um, I remember being there and um, my husband being over and him just being like, Stace, I've woken up and this doesn't look good. And I was like, okay, this happens like every month. And he was like, do you need to go to the hospital? And I was like, no, this is it. And I remember he's like, just seeing his face and him seeing me in the kind of pain that I was and not to go too graphic with it, but often you can pass a lot of clots and things because mm. they're, they're the actual cysts that are bursting, right? So um, a lot of doctors actually think that's quite good that, you know, it's burst, but golly gosh, like a cyst bursting, mm. um, it's childbirth. Like it's that kind of pain. It's not pretend. Um, and And I remember him like being like, okay, and it wasn't until we got back sort of to Australia and um, Joel was very slow at proposing, bless him. He took about eight years, nine years to propose. Um, and then as soon as we did that, he was like, life, like I'm ready to go now. Yeah. So we had actually sort of started trying before our wedding. And I always had this thing in my head that I would get to announce it at the wedding that we were three months pregnant because a lot of people knew the journey that we were on, um, but we were also incredibly secretive about it. Like I didn't even tell my mother that I was trying. I didn't tell any of my best mates, nobody, because I always had this fear that if I had to answer to them, I had to answer to myself. Yeah. And I know that that's kind of screwed up, but it's just where I was. Um, so, yeah, I guess from there that we knew that it was going to take a while um, and I'd had the conversations um, with Joel saying, would you, you know, still want to be with me if if this couldn't happen? Like, and we had those conversations really early on um, and he was like, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I guess we kept trying. We got really lucky with how we fell. Um, we had gone and had consultations with IVF Joel had had his little man checked. I'd had my, you know, ovaries mm -hmm. checked. We were we were good to go. 
I was actually booked in for my next endometriosis operation um, and was already readying, they call it readying your bowels, which is basically you have to clear yourself out because they're going in um, and all of my endometriosis had actually gone all over my bowels. It was completely through my abdomen. It was stage four. They basically give you stages similar to cancer Um, and I was unfortunately as, as bad as it could get. So I started reading, yeah, myself, and I just said, babe, I just don't feel 100% right. And he was like, okay, well, we have, like, pregnancy tests from Costco because we'd buy them in, like, packs of 50. <laughs> so we, were, we were trying. We were but trying. Honestly, honestly that, sound, that sounds exactly like my wife, not that she would go and buy a pack of 10, but, <laughs> like, literally around that time of month, you know, I see her, you know, oh, this yeah. was back in the day and she's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to try it. And then she'd be really disheartened when it, when it didn't happen. And it was this continuous monthly cycle of, yeah. you know, there are some months when it's up and, and then it was just down. It was horrible. Absolutely. And it's, it's tricky, you know, like what you were saying before, like, it's what your heart wants right like it's like love and it's like yeah it's just it's so hard to explain um Mm. and yeah I guess I got I got really really lucky um mine showed the slightest line I went to my doctor and she said there's something there but Stace it could have already been gone so can you wait 20, uh, 48 hours and we'll retest your bloods? And basically if the levels are going up, then we know it's a viable pregnancy. But you're due to have an operation in five days and it took you six months, you mm. know, to get in to get this <clears throat> operation and <clears throat> I was going to be 10 grand out of pocket having it. That's also a cost you never really mm. think about, you know, with these kind of things. Um, but I think you should put off your operation because, you know, maybe the heavens have aligned and you're pregnant. Um, and I remember I'd always said to my husband that if I was pregnant, I would pick you up from the, um, ferry because that was always what I had in my head that I would walk down there with a pram and we'd pick you up from the ferry and we'd all, you know, sing a nursery rhyme. And (laughs) I don't know, it was just, that was in my head. And so two days later, like I obviously said, it looks positive. And I said, like, if I'm going to be at the ferry, that night then you know it's positive I'm not going to tell you and when I was there and I still remember him like he just like wasn't fall to his knees but it was was so bad but it's like just the most emotional time just to be like we're pregnant um and then really that pregnancy was was tricky it is when you've got that stuff going on you know with your with your lady parts because I remember constantly thinking, um, was this a miscarriage? I wasn't bleeding, but the pain. Mm. And later I found out um, when I saw my specialist and he said, no, that's a great thing. It's actually all the cyst bursting that you have on your ovaries making room to grow a baby, you know, but your head just starts, you know, Mm. going around and around in circles. Like, um, and I'd never been pregnant before, so I didn't know what to expect I guess but Mm. yeah definitely the first like 12 weeks were petrifying um and we didn't I think I told my parents at like nine weeks because I just knew that they would be worried too um as well which I'm pretty big with that I mean I hope I come across as unfriendly (laughs) and all that but I I do keep a lot in um, yeah as well and and how how did that first pregnancy go um, not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, so he was born, um, at 32 weeks, literally five hours into wow. 32 weeks. Um, and he came out at 1.38 kilos, I think it was, um, vitamin emergency cesarean. We'd found out in the week before that the cord was around his neck and I have to caveat that that isn't always bad but we're so blessed in this world now that excuse me that we can check basically through the scans is that affecting blood flow to the brain right Mm. so we could tell through my sonographer looking um with the ultrasound 
that the blood flow was really being impacted to his brain. So that's a pickle. Um, and basically the sonographer said, chill out those days and come back and see me next week. And again, I'm probably too good at just doing what I'm told. I was like, okay, cool. No worries. Um, Joel needed to go to Germany to work. And so I was like, go to Germany. You should take your snowboard. Yeah. You know, pop up to Austria go. Like, cause we're, we're going to have a baby, you know, in eight weeks time. So get in some snowboarding because that's how we met. And I, it's something we both adore doing. Um, and so off he trotted and then it wasn't until that was like really late Friday and he left Saturday morning. Monday morning my obstetrician got that report and just like screamed at me on the phone. He's like, you have to stop being so chilled out and like worrying about work too. Like why didn't you call me? And I was like, well, that guy said don't worry. And yeah. he's like, get in here now. So, you know, I trotted um, and had some steroids straight away that was to grow the baby's lungs so they can basically give you a steroid now that can mature the lungs within, ideally they do it two days, but they literally will give it to mums that are starting to come. And I think um, a few girlfriends like, I have a group of all of us mums from the Premi Hospital that we, we used to call ourselves the Premi Mummies Group, which was just so brilliant because we could, you know, check in on the Premi milestones are so different to others. Mm. And a lot of them literally had this steroid like two hours before the baby was born. Um, and then I started getting really sick from the steroids. So doctor asked the next logical question and said, where's your husband? And I was like, oh, he's at a conference and then he's going to go snowboarding. Like, I'm so jealous. And he's like, call him and get him on a plane now and get him back. Um, and I guess it was that when I really realised what the heck was going on um, and told my work and just I, um, Joel's parents came down to be with me as well and my parents um, and the doctor was due to bring um, him on Friday morning, they were going to bring him out by an emergency cesarean and we just kept begging and saying, could you just wait? Like Joel's plane gets in at 9 o'clock at night. Like could we do it later? And he was like, we'll just have to see. But, you know, blood flow to the brain, yeah, yeah. like that's a big deal, right? Um, anyway, they decided not to bring him on the Friday but Joel still got home. Joel walked in and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't get to go snowboarding and we'll, you know, we'll sort it out, but let's just have a really big sleep because I'm so knackered and I've got steroids. Like they gave me another lot of steroids and they were pumping me full of so much medication trying to sort of sort out what the heck was going on. And then I woke up at, it was 5 a.m. and I woke up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've wet the bed. I'm so embarrassed. I was like, Joel, don't look. I've wet the bed. <laughs> and he's like, your wetting of the bed, Stace, is not stopping. I think, oh, actually, he didn't tell me that. So I called the doctor straight away and, again, being completely naive, I was like, I've burst my bladder because there's water coming everywhere. I think I've done something wrong. And they said, Stace, you're having a baby? That's probably your waters are broken. And again, I was like, no, but it's, I'm only like literally it's Saturday morning, so I'm 32 weeks, like it couldn't be. And they're like, get the heck in here now. Um, and so it was an hour from me calling and it took us 20 minutes to get to the hospital. Um, at that time of morning, it was, you know, really easy to get there. And then within, I think he was born at five minutes past six wow. um, and then he was whisked away probably the worst moment of any mother's life when you're just laying there on the operating table and I'm like, I'm getting up. I'm like, I have to find my baby. And, and they're like, you're numb stays. Like just, you know, it's okay. Like just chill out. And it was right before Christmas or it was the beginning of December he was born. And I remember the obstetrician talking to the nurses about him having to buy this crystal vase for his wife <laughs> I'm just like what are we talking about like where is my baby um and Joel when, went to be with him and when did you like yeah it was the same Inga had a an emergency caesar when we had Andy for the not because she was premie but the the cord was wrapped around her her neck when 
we had gone in there to to give birth anyway um and i went off with andy as well but then it only took a moment uh, when i say a moment say an hour for, for inga to kind of come and and uh hold andy on on, on her chest but when like how long was it until well, you you got to i guess hold your baby oh, yeah yeah so it was nearly five hours before i got to him and i was allowed to hold him probably about six, seven hours after he was born. At that young, like they were, when we were there, um, and I've spoken about it a little bit on my blog, um, I've written a few sort of posts about it, is I remember the um, baby doctor coming in and um, looking like at the surgeon and the, uh, sorry, at my obstetrician and the obstetrician just sort of gave him a rundown and he just said, just get that baby out now. Like really, and I was like, okay, so there's probably no time to find like my um, wedding song on my iPhone that I want my baby to be born with, <laughs> like all of this kumbaya stuff. That I what had song was that? <laughs> um, John, Legend, John Legend, um, I Will Stay With You yeah. is what we, um, yeah, and we've both got it engraved in our um Wedding rings, and it's something that we listen to a lot. Our boys like know that song, and yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So he was he was whisked away, and, and I guess I they said to us, "We've got um, Niku on call because it's probably likely that he's going to need like your baby a lot of help." I didn't know it was a boy then, but you know, we found out when he came out. Um, yeah, and he basically just got whisked away and Joel went with him. Um, Joel was messaging me though, which was so fantastic and I'm so grateful that, you know, no one said don't have that in here in the hospital, which I don't know whether you still do that, but definitely, you know, back in the day, I remember, you know, you couldn't use them at petrol mm. stations but the phone, he was able to keep me updated um, of kind of what was going on. But they put me in a ward with all of these old men that had just had knee operations and I was just like, what the hell? Like, just get me up to my baby. And then I remember I finally got up and um, our mutual girlfriend, my 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 such treasured friend, Danny, was standing there with her gorgeous little boy, and, um, her divine husband, and her little boy was having so much trouble and he was just had cords all over him and he was being put into this, um, they call it like a big, kind of like an ambulance within an ambulance because he was having to go off to get a lot more help at a really high-level NICU. And I just remember seeing Danny's face and she was like, oh, yeah, you know, he's going off and I was you yesterday, like I got wheeled in and don't worry. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like what's coming? You mm. know, like I'm not, I'm not really a person that thinks too much in the future. Um, I definitely used to be in advertising when I had to because I had to be thinking that. But my reality is now is I just think for the now and I don't like let my mind wander away. But that was definitely a point when I was like, crap, should I be thinking about what's coming? But he did really well, my little guy, and he breathed on his own. Um, he stayed in hospital for five weeks, which was really tricky, I guess, over Christmas. That was hard. Um, it's also hard with the premie that you're not allowed to hold them a whole lot. They they really encourage you to let them sleep, and when they're on you, it's lovely. But they're not resting the way that they mm. are when they're in their little box. Um, so um, Joel didn't get a cuddle until about three a.m. that night. So nearly twenty four hours old before wow. you know he got to hold his son, which is is hard, and they. They give you ten minutes with him, and then they come and pick him off your chest and say that's enough. And 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 that um, that five weeks that you're going into the hospital, like, are are you in there? Like, obviously they're every day, but are you there like twenty four seven? Or how how does that all work? Not allowed to be. You're not allowed to be. Again, they sort of they ask you to come in for one feed. So I was on a um, pretty quickly within a four-hour feed, so them teaching me how to pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would have to get up, you know, in the middle of the night and pump, which was crap because you're like, what am I pumping for? Like You knew, like, of course mm-hmm. I knew, but it's um, the whole 
I guess it happens a lot easier when you've got your baby there or you're looking at your baby and, you know, like those kind of things can happen. Um, but, yeah, you're allowed to go in for one feed and I fed him, I think when he was about three weeks old was the first feed and I remember he was on me and I was rubbing his head, um, Joel was rubbing his back and the nurse was rubbing his feet trying to continually wake him up because they're so small and they're so tired and to take, you know, breast milk from me and not through a feeding tube through his nose is a lot of work and he would just get exhausted um, and would sort of suck for like 10 seconds and then would just fall asleep. Um, but you, like, it, it once he got to 38 weeks, well, actually, no, 38 weeks is really when we brought him home, but, like, as he got bigger, it got easier and towards the end... Um, he was off his nose feeding tube for about a week before we brought him home. Um, and we, yeah, we brought him home on New Year's Eve, which was just so lovely, um, to the sound of fireworks in Sydney. You know, we drove across the bridge oh, and it was just, yeah, it, it was a nice ending to that, I guess. Of, and, and was that actually before his due day? Y- yes. Yeah. 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 He wasn't due. Until Australia Day. <laughs> wow. He was, he was my little bogan baby. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he had Wait, wait. So, so, so for, for, my, for my international listeners, you have to describe what a bogan is. <laughs> okay. So um, I know what it is because when I lived in Canada, they would say it with their gorgeous accents. Gosh, I love them. A yabo. What's it? Oh, no, they would ask, like, they, they know what a yobbo is, right? Yeah, so I, say, I, I, I guess in America, like, it's, redneck. yeah, redneck. I think like, a redneck would be the closest to it. But, yeah. Um, but, but really, really proud of the country, you know, like, yeah, a bogan's like, we love Australia. And, and they're, they're, they're still, um, they're, I'm all for bogans. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, I, th- I think every Australian does have an inner bogan that com- comes out yeah. every now and then. Definitely. But so, so, so you, you've, you bring your baby home uh, on New Year's Eve, but you also had to do like something that no mother would ever want to do. And your baby stopped breathing and, and you had to perform CPR on your baby. Now, take me back to that moment when, you know, you first had to put your fingers on his chest and, and push down. Um. Gosh, those words really do bring me back. Um, I was on the phone to a girlfriend. Um, she was gorgeous, just checking in, you know, how is it going now? Because I think that was something I really struggled with too is that no one knew what to really say um, and no one knew whether to overstep, like, should we come to the hospital but you can't come in and meet him and blah, blah, blah. So she was just checking in on me and I just said, I've just got to go. Like, I've just got to go. See ya. And I walked past his room um, and usually like how we had the bed set up, I can like see him. He was on breathing mats. So please don't ever think any listeners that I'm one of those mums that wasn't safeguarding against this stuff, right? Like he'd stop breathing every second day in the hospital and I would see what the nurses would do and always it was just oxygen up to his nose Um, he was on a medication that was basically, they said kind of like coffee um, when he was in the hospital very early on, but we'd weaned him off it a few weeks before he'd come home. It was stimulating his brain because he would breathe and then he'd go, well, I took a breath and then he'd stop. But because he didn't have that brain maturity to continually keep breathing. Um, So when we got him home, he was home for a good week or so and he was doing great. Um, There was a part of me that quite adored that he was on a four hourly feed because I got sleep, right? Like he would wake up, feed, go back to bed. And at least it wasn't like having a complete newborn home that, you know, might be feeding every hour. Walked in, saw him. Um, He was completely blue around his mouth and his eyes were closed and they were blue. Um, and I just grabbed him and started screaming his name. And I have to caveat, I don't say my kids' names on my blogs mm-hmm. or here. Um, but, yeah, I just grabbed him 
and started screaming his name and he just didn't move. He wasn't cold. There was none of that, you know, like he wasn't too far gone. And so I put him on the ground and because I'd just been on the phone, it was literally with me. Um, and I went to go call my husband because it was um, peak, like it was time coming home time and I knew that he was stopping off to grab some sausages. <laughs> Is that in a bogan um, <laughs> from the courtyard down the road? And, yeah, so I knew that he was close. Um, but I went, go back to what I was taught in the hospital and I called the ambulance and I just like to start screaming and say, my babies and babies are breathing and I'm trying, I'm trying. And she's like, I'm just going to talk to you, but you just keep pushing with a little baby. I mean, he's, he's one and a half kilos. So there's just this fear that I was going to break his ribs. And I remember them telling me in the hospital, that's the least of your worries, Stace, like just keep going with your compressions. Um, and you kind of hold them like I could fit my whole hands and I'm a pretty small girl, like completely around him. Um, and I'd say within two minutes I had him breathing and he was like his eyes were open. And then my husband came through the door and he could hear me and he thought I was like excited. Um, and I just like was like get in here now and he could see what was happening. So he... He sort of got him really going properly, which once he's breathing, you've got to basically put them on their sides and just rub their backs. Um, and all at this time, like I lived in a unit on the fourth floor and I was like, how the heck am I going to get the ambulance guys up here? Um, and by, you know, just how things sometimes work out, one of the neighbours was walking out and he saw my face. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, baby, stop breathing. The ambulance is coming. I can hear them. Can you go down and let them in? Um, they had care flight on the way too, which is an amazing helicopter service that we have here in Australia. Um, and they were on their way too. So they were going to land quite down at our local oval to get him but when the ambulance guys got here, they said, look, this is okay. Let's just take him to the hospital. Um, and so then we spent another good week in hospital while they were trying to figure out, did he have epilepsy? You know, was he having seizures? Was there something? Because we knew that he'd had the cord around his neck that had affected his brain that they hadn't picked up in the hospital. And it actually took about six months before we figured out what was going on. And I found out that he had sleep apnea. Um, and it was really quite severe, his sleep apnea. He had to go onto a breathing machine at about six months old for a little while. And I guess looking back, that may have been what actually had happened, that that was his first apnea. Um, and because he was so small, we just couldn't get him back. But, yeah, it was, it was, wow. it was something no mother should ever do. Um, I think no father should ever do. I remember, my, I remember calling my parents and being like, I always have this thing with them where I call and hang up the phone. Like I ring three times and then they call me back. Um, and I just kept calling. And Dad's like, what are you doing calling? You know, we call you back. This is what we do, Stace. Like, um, and I just heard he stopped breathing. And he was like, what? And he's like, did you not have that breathing mat on? Like, you know, being Dad. And I was like, I had it on and it didn't work. Um, we later found out, you know, yeah, I don't want to go into too mm. much of that kind of stuff. Um, but we have a, a very good confidence in the one that we use now and we got another one that clips onto his nappy um, straight after as well, which is really good um, that he wore 24-7 so that we'd know that, you know, if we were out about and he wasn't breathing, then we could help. But my parents um, live up in the Gosford, Terrigal area, and that's usually about a good hour, 20 minutes, hour and a half drive. They were at RPA Hospital within an hour. Um, and I still remember them like, just looking like deers and headlights and them coming in. And they were so lovely to us in emergency. And them and Joel um, had our baby in his arms and... Um, we all just sat there. I think we were with him for about five hours and just no one put him down and he had every test possible and I kept having to leave because, you know, when you're hearing them put a catheter in your baby and they're just doing so many blood tests, it's 
it's um it's a hard no I think you know you're a dad I guess it's hard for anyone to take but it was just too much for me to hear um and yeah it was it was really profound and I just like in that spot in that room I was like we have to get healthy because this stuff happens right like and this stuff does you can eat mung beans and kale 24 7 but stuff still happens Mm. but there's so much stuff that mung beans and kale can fix you know like eating well thinking right doing what you love doing can fix so many of these things so that then you just leave the big crap that can go wrong that you can't handle to that but you know I don't want to have a cold like I don't want to go oh it's winter and I have a cold because it's just winter like that's bull crap. It shouldn't happen, you know. Like, and I just wh- think if you can solve. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, like, was it that moment in the hospital? And I, I just must say beforehand, like that, you know, I I moved away from the microphone. Like that was a <laughs> that's a heart wrenching story. Like it really is. Um, but like, was that the moment in the hospital where you really were like, "I need to start changing some stuff here," you know? We, totally. And then, and then, how did yep. you go? How did you go about that? Yeah. So, um, I guess went home and went, "Why is everything I buy in packages?" You know, and that was the way I was kind of brought up, right? Like, I don't, I don't judge my mum for that, but you know, she thinks that cookies and stuff like bought in a packet well that's a cookie you know she didn't know to look at holy moly there's a whole heap of numbers in there and preservatives and you know bleached wheat that maybe isn't ideal so I kind of started pulling away from that um and wanted to make my own food I guess too um I am extremely motivated um I had come from literally the day before he was born, I was in the office at, I remember getting there at 4am. It was the steroids, literally. Like I was like those crazy bodybuilders that, you know, can't sit still. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get into work and like get all this out. But like I do a bloody good job for whoever I'm working for. And so I was like that kind of mentality I guess came across to when I had um, my babies is that, I could find time for this stuff. Like I found time to work and do a good job there. I could do a good job at home too. So I prioritised like making all of our food, um, Joel's and I, from scratch. Um, And maybe that helped with my milk too. But I remember like I was literally like a dairy cow. Like I had so much milk. We filled a freezer drawer with my milk. But everyone said, keep filling it you know it'll get your nights out and they were spot on but like I just yeah got really changed my food I did a lot of I guess blog reading which I feel like so many mamas do do um it's an easy avenue for us to sort of get in on is that you know when you're up feeding you could read or whatever that is um and yeah our diet just did complete 180 um we eat 90% organic diet now um, because we find for both of our bodies that works really well and it works well for our kids. Um, I guess it was just finding the time to do it. And, and like on that, that time factor, like does it take a lot of time? Because I, I guess that would probably be one of the excuses that some people have is like I don't have the time to to eat healthy like like does it does it take a lot of time or does it or is it about kind of just building different habits i i think it's yeah definitely the second one mike um it doesn't it doesn't take time and i think there has to sometimes people need to whatever you know I, i i pray that someone listens to this and goes stace that was a big enough kick you're right, I need to do it. But, like, sometimes you need that big earth thing to be like, you're right, it isn't like that shattered me and the change for me to make isn't going to be that hard to do. You know, you can find ways and I guess that's kind of what I do now and we'll chat about that later. But as as a health and nutrition coach, like, you show them that if you want to eat a decent breakfast, 
you can put rice and coconut milk and gorgeous apples in a slow cooker, turn it on as you go to sleep, you're going to wake up and it's going to be ready to go. And that's going to feed you for four days. Like that is quicker than getting a cereal box out, right? Mm. And it's real food and it tastes awesome. And if your kids start eating that from day dot, like it's that's all they know, right? Like um, I think that when your priorities change, it is never, it's not ever hard to do this stuff, and, you know, uh, like. Is, is, yeah. that, is, is that the key thing, like changing your priorities? Is that, is that, so. is that one of the, the, the key milestones on anyone's journey? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like you just, yeah, you've just got to, I always I do it a lot and my husband gets cranky with me about it, but I'm like, stop. What matters in 10 years? Tell me, like literally look at 10 years and tell me, does this matter now? Or what, what should we do now? Because that's like where we want it to be is what we should be doing now. And I guess I hope that doesn't take away from what your kind of whole philosophy is, but if it's 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 kind of going, I want to live a life well lived, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's my answer. I am going to pack up and give it a go and try these things out. And I guess for me is I go, I don't ever want to see a baby like that again. Mm. I never want to. I never want to see that. So I'm going to prioritize chucking stuff in my slow cooker and cooking one night and turning it into three different meals. You know, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, like that stuff, it's just easy. Um, and and yeah, and, and so you know, you went on this self discovery journey and and you changed your ways. But like, what was that moment when I guess you decided to to start Stacy Claire, a healthy mum, and and really want to kind of uh, you know improve the nutrition of families and help other mums on, on their healthy journey? What what was yeah. that moment? So I wanted to study nutrition, um, and I guess looking at time, and I went. I can't study to be a nutritionist. That's four years worth of study. Um, I can't commit to that with a newborn baby knowing um, that we had bills to pay and I would probably need to go back to work when he was one year old, right? Um, It just wasn't realistic. So I looked at a different course that I could do and I found one that I could do that was a lot more full on a typical degree, but I could do it in a year. Um, and so that was to study to be a health coach. So I did that. And then I remember it was like on about the fifth week, they said, you should start something in social media, um, or a blog so that if you eventually want to be a coach, you know, people can start finding you. I started this course, never wanting to be a coach. I literally wanted to learn this for my family so that I could make the right decisions for them. Um, and. And I started posting stuff on Facebook and within I think it was three months I went to 10,000 followers like really quickly and then it was within a year I was at 20,000. And now Facebook's changed (laughs) and they don't show what are your content and it's sort of stagnated now. I think I'm 23, 24,000 or whatever. But it was I guess sharing that and then People would say, Stace, you posted that recipe or that idea of how you would tweak your meals to be baby food because that's always a big philosophy of mine that I didn't want to be in the kitchen, you know, making pumpkin puree. But if I made pumpkin, I could, you know, use it for my dinner for his dinner, like, you know, sort of cutting down on time. So I, I put a blog together so I could share those kind of tips um and then it was really early on I got an email from a mum that was in a really similar situation to me and she just said Stace I follow all the blogs I have literally done three different courses I've done Michelle Bridges which is an Australian weight loss thing I've done all this I actually just want somebody to hold me accountable to help motivate me to keep me on track but is actually a mum So it's realistic. I know, you know, and you can teach me this. So I started coaching um, and realised that that's an avenue that I absolutely adore. 
because I get off the calls and I, I typically Skype with the guy, with my clients. And I just, I feel so happy that they're going to be healthy, you know, that I could help that. Whereas, yeah, I guess I didn't have that in my old career. Yeah. It makes a big difference. You know, you, you, you've got people ahead of you. Do you know what I mean? You're serving. It's a, it's a completely yeah. different kind of feeling. So you mentioned it early, earlier Stace about being a, a health and nutrition coach. What, I guess, what does one actually do? Yeah. It's a bit of a buzz word. Um, a little bit confusing. A health and nutrition coach. So basically, um, I'm going to help you start eating the way that you want to eat. Um, so in doing that, though, I guess it's te teaching you techniques as well. So a lot of mums will come to me and just be like, we're constantly sick. I'm not cooking as much from scratch as I want to. How can I get my family there? So I'll literally hold their hands, give them a bucket load of education um, about what to try and bring into their diets um, and then actually show them realistically how to do it. So there might be mums saying, I want my kids to stop eating wheat bix, but how am I going to actually do that and why should I be doing that? So we talk to them about benefits of whole foods, give them ideas for what to do for lunch. And then I guess the journey because so often these mums, and I think it's only every single one of them, has done some kind of course online and said, I did it for like three weeks, days, and then I didn't. And I guess the benefit of, of doing this nutrition and health coaching is that it's literally one-on-one. -on -one. So you keep, I can help keep them motivated so that these changes are changes for life. Um, and then we, once food starts rocking for them, we look at bigger things. So it might be that the mums want to get more mindful with their day. They might want to do meditation. Um, they want to get exercising. There's just so many, I guess, different areas that end up bringing in when mamas give themselves permission to sit down and talk about them, you know, and realising that when we do talk about us and get our own health sorted, our whole family gets better. I actually, I think, um, that's, a, I think that's a big point actually because... You know, people don't, especially when they're new parents, they don't actually allow themselves time to think of themselves. Like people think that it's selfish. I actually read something the other day. It would have come up in one of the social feeds and it's it said something like, um, I'll look after me for you if you look after you for me. And I thought like that was a really, a really strong message. And I 100% agree that, you know, it's not selfish to go, how can, how can I improve myself or how can I think about myself? Because at the end of the day, that's going to improve the people that are around you and the people that you love. Totally. And that's, that's, I guess, how I started with that journey is that I knew that if I started eating well, I wasn't going to cook two meals. So then my husband would eat well and, you know, it would come through to my kids as well. So I guess... Um, you know, sometimes it just takes someone being that champion of the family and often it is the mum that just says, look, enough is enough. I'm ready to, I'm ready to make healthy easy, you know, and that's what I guess I do mm. is I can make healthy easy for mums. And like, you know, you, you've mentioned before that you, you kind of came from that crazy busy advertising world and and i think often sometimes when people are crazy busy they're, they're not eating healthy so what you are doing oh, yeah. about kind of making you know healthy food easy is such a plus but how do you how do you make sure that you don't fall back into i guess those old habits of of how life was like for you before because i, I know that yeah. like like parenthood just adds even more craziness into the mix doesn't it ever Oh, I hear you on that. Um, I should caveat that the majority of my clients are working mums, like a lot of them five days a week working mums. So um, I know, yeah, I guess, that there is others that feel that with me as well. I think keeping a level, though, of realism there to it. So I actually posted last week on Facebook and it went really, really well um, 
like I still eat potato chips and I can literally tell you like 10 amazing places to go for hamburgers in Sydney. <laughs> like none of them are McDonald's or all that though. Like, you know, these are churburgers, these are ones that are made with beautiful grass-fed meats and, you know, chips that are just divine. I think you need to make sure that there's a part of that that you still have. You just need to choose better options for it. You know, like I want to eat a burger. I'm not going to go to McDonald's, but I'm going to go and sit at the pub. Like in my area where I live, we've got pubs everywhere and I go to them. Um, But not bringing it into the house, I guess, as well, because I know like when we go out, all bets are off. Like I eat whatever looks delicious on the menu and I'm not going to be like, oh, you should really have the kale salad because Mm. at home I eat kale and that's, you know, Great. I think that's a great rule, actually. Like, just don't bring it into the house on yeah. on on a lot of fronts. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um, I I have to be careful about what I say, but I know the way that I was brought up. You know, and I see my mother with the grandchildren. Like, a strawberry is the treat. You know, and it's the way that my mum kind of frames that with with the grandchildren and and so that's that's now what they get really excited about because there isn't anything else in in her house to to kind of misbehave for if you if you know what I mean where I know that um I have other people that well when the only option is kind of junky kind of stuff then you know that's the only option that the kid can have totally yeah, hundred percent. And then why can't fruit be a reward? Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, there might be listed as being like, Stace, you're a monkey. Like, no, it's not, but really it can be, you know, like I know when we go to parties and I don't know if I actually don't really care if I'm ever judged about it, but like, I totally let my kids um, have the cake always um, um, which is, is tricky because sometimes, you know, I've been dealing with some intolerances with my youngest. But what I do bring along is a bag of um, homemade little jellies that look like lollies, and that's what my boys think are lollies. And they're literally made with raspberries, gelatin, often kombucha or water. Um, and it takes me probably about three minutes start to finish and it would make me 60, 70 lollies in one go. So I make them up, you know, once a week. And my kids take that and they literally think that that's a treat. Um, and it is, you know, like if that's what they they see as it is, I just don't think that it's a bad thing um, that they don't necessarily know what a red skin tastes like because I, I want to help them, you mm. know. I want I want them to be well. And, you know, like looking after your, your kids as a mother and, and also running a business, how do you, how do you juggle all that? Like it's, it's one of the big questions that I, I, I often get asked from people, but like how do, you, yeah, how do you keep all the balls off the ground? Yeah. Um, I guess for me, being present at exactly what I'm doing at that moment um, and I hope that doesn't sound too hippie-ish, but um, I make sure that my emails aren't on my phone. Gosh, that's been a game changer. I've, I've been um, doing that for a year and a half and I agree oh, with you. So good. So that if I get to the park, I'm not going to be like, oh, just check and see, you know, has this done this or has this done that? Um, I, I'm really present of when um, I'm working. Gosh, I put my head down and go for it. Like today is is a day of work and I reckon this is, I mean, in advertising it was probably two days' worth of work that I crammed into a day um, and I just go gung-ho with it so that then when I'm with the boys um, I don't touch my computer. Like I I don't look at it during the day um, and so then I can do like preparing meals and getting all of that kind of stuff done. I think just having really big guidelines rather than trying to morph it together. Mm. Um, and I think that can be a detriment too. You know, um, I often look at other brilliant mummy bloggers that are posting on Instagram four times a day and I go, wow, like it, with love. <laughs> but mm. 
I actually just don't think of doing that. Like I literally don't. I just think of being with them um, and then I'll worry about work stuff sort of later on. You know, I, I think, um, I think having, because it consumes you. A hundred percent. It really does. And, and then I think if you do, if you're trying to do all at once, I know for me anyway, I feel like I'm failing it a lot. Um, and I, I, mm. I noticed even back home in, in Newcastle, we built Inga a, a studio at the back for her, for her business. And just having that separation from like her office isn't, isn't now in the front sunroom where we could all kind of see her having that separation. It was kind of like, well, when Inga was in there, well, she's doing her work time. And when she's out of there, it's, it's, you know, mum time or husband time. Do you know what I mean? And it was really great kind of having those boundaries that you mentioned about, but you, you also with, you know, you're a health and nutrition coach and, and, and on your website, you do a lot of blogging as well. And you wrote a really wonderful article, and and similar to you, I I read a lot, um, and I listen to a lot of things. But this particular post really struck a chord with me, and it's something that I, I'm going to really try to implement implement with my family. But you wrote about what you do with your family each night at the oh, dinner dinner yeah. table. Can you please, I love that. Yeah, yeah, please explain what you do because oh. I th- I think it is yeah. super beautiful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, it's my take on a gratitude journal. Um, And the way that I guess I gratitude journal is that I really wanted my boys to be involved with it because I think it's teaching happiness is actually something you need to teach, right? Like you need to actively look for the good to train yourself to see that way. Um, and so each night when we're eating at the dinner table, um, I grab out a book that I've got, um, and I ask them, what was the one thing that made you happy? Often I find, um, with them, I kind of need to go through the day because they are like just turned two and just about to turn four. So their brains, you know, mightn't remember the whole day. And then they pick out and tell me that. But then the biggest one I think that's been having a really big impact for us is what did you do nice for somebody else today? So that's the two questions I ask. So first, um, what what made you happy today and what did you do nice for someone else? Um, I adore that because it's, I guess it's teaching them empathy, which is something um, that is really profound for me. I was, I was at um, a conference the other week, or not the other week, like months and months ago, and they were talking about what should you teach preschoolers and, you know, all these mums are like, oh, mine knows how to plus already and can write their own name. And the psychologist just said, please just teach your kids empathy, teach them to share, teach them to be nice because when we have problems with teenagers at 12, the pickle is that they haven't learned that and they're not showing that behaviour. When you've got a, you know, jackass creative director that I used to deal with, you know, too many times, so often, like, I would always just be like, what happened to you? Mm. You know, like, thinking that, like, why do, you, why do you have to talk to people like that? Like, why do you be like this? And a lot of it comes back to that. So I guess that's really what I'm concentrating on. And this tool is helping a lot with that. It also helps behaviorally as well. So an example was yesterday, um, that we, I don't know why, but they both wanted to wear their helmets, but they only wanted to take one bike outside. Lordy, <laughs> why wouldn't we take two bikes? Oh, welcome to my life. But I started saying to them, do you want to write, should the thing that we write down tonight in the diary, the nice thing you do is that you guys, you do one lap around the block and then you share it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they knew it like straight away. And I guess... My little guy has only just turned two, but 100% he's starting to understand this. And just yesterday, um, like Joel said to him, what made you happy today? And he hadn't heard us. I hadn't done the run through of the Dada haircut, watching Dada haircut. And we were like, what? Like we thought that would have been a really boring part of the day. But, you know, I guess it's 
Mm. It's nice for us to hear too that us thinking the mundane stuff and that, oh, we're not at the park with the kids, you know, mm. and we're not, you know, making them this wildly amazing meal, it, it helps my happiness too is realising that they're actually just so content just being with us and oh. that makes them happy. I completely agree with that. Like this whole year that we've been away, I've had, and I, you know, Andy, I often refer to her endearingly as my, my little shadow and she's been around me 24 seven apart from when she's sleeping. And, you know, I'll, I, I often, she's dragging her from place to place and or whatever, but she's completely content. And I think it's just because she, she's really soaking up the time that she gets to spend with me. Um, and I think that's all kids really want half the time is just, just totally. time, you know? Yeah. True that. And, True and, and that. what, what was it, you know, I was going to say, was it weird when you kind of brought this idea to the family and like you said to Joel, Hey, I, I want to ask these two questions at, at every dinner table. Was it, was it a strange feeling to know? It was more an, it was more an evolution for us. Um, pre kids. I used to ask the question to Joel just before we go to sleep each night, um, what happened funny today? Because I would always sleep better and stop thinking about my to-do list and, you know, campaigns that had gone wrong and, you know, clients that were cranky if I literally went to sleep laughing about something. (laughs) Um, And we did that. Like, and it was always, it's such a nice way to end your night, like in bed, just cracking up before you go to sleep. Maybe, hopefully you could tell I like to laugh. You know, that was, that was quite good. Um, And then the next step on sort of my gratefulness journey, and this is something that I get all of my um, coaching clients to do really early on is is I've downloaded on your phone, there's a Chime app that you can download from the Apple store. It's free and it goes beep on the hour. And I basically use that as a tool that each time I hear that to look around and find something that's really good that's going on right then and there. Um, because, again, you've got to teach yourself this, right? And everything is overwhelming and too crazy to even take any steps for when you're not looking at the positives um, and seeing that the everyday mundane life that you think is mundane is actually great Oh, you know, like you can do this of, yeah. It, it really is. And, I, and I, you know, sorry to interrupt you there, but like when we, when we talk about that, you know, happiness is a choice, it, it, it is, but it is something that you need to, whether it's, I don't know whether learn is the right word, but you you need to kind of go out there and, and actively do it. You totally. Can, yeah, it's, not, it's not just about, I'm just going to sit on the chair and smile, even though I must say that really does help if, if I'm in a really cranky, cranky <laughs> mood, I just smile and I kind of get yeah, myself out of it a little bit. I like that one. But, um, but you kind of, you know, there, there are these practices that so many people have been talking about for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that that is exactly, you know, you need to kind of go out there and, and actually be putting this great wisdom, this action into your life. Totally. Yeah. I could, um, I could honestly chat to you, uh, all, all, all day. I was going to say all night because it's night time for me. But um, before I do start wrapping up, Stace, and, and kind of letting you get back to your, your crazy busy work day without the kids, I have, I have a question that I, I do ask everyone, and that is to describe your perfect day. Yeah, I loved this. Um, it would be getting up and doing exercise in the morning, um, which, yeah, makes me feel better. Coming home and having breakfast ready to go, um, sitting down and eating it with my kids. I adore that part of the day. Um, and then having a day with them. Ideally, my husband would be about to because I just I love him so much. Um, and then it would be coaching at night, which tends to be when I do most of my stuff. So I guess then I it's having that even balance between mm being able to be the mum and then having something for me and my work and my outlet. So, yeah. That's and so- eating really delicious food, like super delicious food. <laughs> no, it sounds good. And I think, I think that having that balance is, you know, you don't have to be – we're parents all the time. As soon as you have a kid, you're a parent until you die. 
right? But having that balance yeah. between time with the kids and, and growing ourselves, whether that be through a business or just, you know, self-growth, I think is really, really important. Totally. Yeah. Well, I do want to thank you, Stace, for your time and, and also for your beautiful work, your dedication to improving the lives of family through food and, and you know, one meal at a time. Uh, if people do want to reach out to you or, or want to know a little bit more about what a nutrition co coach does, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, yeah. So my website is stacyclare.com. Um, you can find me there. And my Facebook channel is um, Stacy Claire under slash underscore a healthy mum. So either of those, yeah, I would just adore follow along, subscribe to my emails, and more so, please reach out and ask questions. Like this can be a lonely spot, but maybe yeah, just chatting with somebody else might just help. So. And I, I would highly recommend that because you do have some some pretty cool free goodies on your website as well, um, and also yeah. and also some some great little things that people can purchase to to help them improve their their healthy journey. But I, I will make sure that all the links are in the show notes at liveimmediately dot com. And did you have any final words before we go, Stace? Have I left no. anything out? Thank you so much. I I yeah I adore what you're doing, Mike. Um, and yeah, I hope everyone has a really great day. And I second that. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks again, Stace. And thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, like always, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.